From 11FS, I'm Simon Taylor, and this is Fintech Insider News. Coming up on today's show, big banks and fintech, can't we all just get along? UK fintech Yaya pays £530 million in cash to acquire Bank of Ireland's credit card business, and Libra, not the sanitary product from Australia, but Facebook plans for world dominations. All this and more on today's extra special episode of Fintech Insider After Dark. Okay, um, so hello and welcome to Fintech Insider After Dark number eight. This week we are coming to you live from our home turf and we work in Devonshire Square, albeit this time we're actually outdoors. Uh, and thankfully, the sun's shining, the weather is sweet. Um, we've got the swag to end all swag at our merch stand, so make sure you check that out. We've got food trucks, beer kegs. The whole place just has a bit of a street party vibe. And yeah, we wanted to create this event and make it feel a little bit special. So I'm Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Lady Glyptus. Lady, how are you? Freezing. <laughs> <laughs> that good. And Before Jason, the end of the day, I will be like making pleas for additional layers. So <laughs> any of you who have one spare, just push it to the end of the line. Fintech Insider, we're really cold. Um, <laughs> and uh, Jason, how are you, sir? I'm good as well. I thought you were pushing that whole British summer line really well uh, until we're all like sitting here in our <laughs> coats doing that. It is warm. We are going to stay outside. It, it is warm. It is warm. I, well, we have some drinks and we have some fun. Um, as you've already seen, David is roaming with intent this evening. Um, so he's going to be putting the mic in front of some audience members throughout the show to get some thoughts on what we'll be covering. Uh, and we have a lot to cover tonight. Uh, so much has been happening in the last few weeks that we're not going to have time to fit it all in. Um, but, well, we could have tried, but we might have had a hunger-based riot. So um, we're going to make sure we get you to the food and not too much uh, time to go. So before we get to the news stories, we need to bring on some guests. So um, come bringing on our guests, first up, we have the wonderful Liana Brindard, who is the head of Yahoo Finance UK. Give her a round of applause, please. Next up, we have the fantastic Luke Griffiths, who's the head of UK at Klarna. Luke, come to the stage, please. And last, but by no means least, we have a dear friend of 11FS, of course, the one and only Sophie Gibbard, uh, MD of Europe at Fedor. Thank you for joining us. Um, David, are you ready? I'm ready. Audience, are you ready? <laughs> Come on, you can do better than that. Are you ready? Yes! All right, let's do this. All right, the first story this week is from The Times. Big banks are apparently being accused of giving fintech startups a raw deal. Um, the treatment of fintech by big banks has come under scrutiny after the takeover of two startups collapsed, forcing one to shut down. Senior fintech executives have complained that large financial institutions want to take information from them whilst not offering adequate capital or other benefits. So this story relates to uh, Loot and RBS Bow and also Parity and HSBC. Uh, Loot actually went into administration with founder Oli Perdue and 17 staff joining RBS. HSBC, keen to buy Parity, instead sold itself to Tandem. It, uh, HSBC's connected money aggregator launched and bore strong similarities to parity. So what do we think of this one? Panel, take us away. This was uh, quite emotional because I have met and, and spent time with uh, particularly the, the team behind parity, but also uh, Lute when Ollie was even younger than he is today. And yeah. although... He's aging back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a happy thing there that actually whatever has happened, both the founders of those companies are early on in their careers. They have scored immense success. And even as a painful learning process, it doesn't leave them in a bad place for, for where they are in their lives and careers. But the, the thing that shocks me after several years of sounding like a broken record is that we're surprised this is happening. At the end of the day, there has been no pretense of disguising the fact that big banks have been trying to learn from startups, invest time, which is a limited resource if you're a big bank, but actually not as limited as if you're a small startup, and trying to get as much mileage out of their relationship as they can without risking, compromising, or overcommitting. I don't believe that Aside of the sort of innovation theater and, and, and inclusive events, any bank has pretended 
to have a different intention. It is unfortunate that it has played out so late in the game um, and is unfortunate for the particular individuals involved, although, as I said, I think they will turn it into a success in both cases. But it's shocking to see journalists surprised that this is happening. I mean, we've always known this is the game. So you're surprised that journalists are surprised? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Leon, how about yourself as a journalist? Well, um, I think what these stories are, I think it's like goes against what has been fostered as the thing where fintech is at the moment, that there can be that um, inclusion and partnership between banks and startups. And of course, it doesn't happen everywhere, but this is almost like a horror story for maybe those startups that are, um, you know, happening just right now and they're looking for funding and they're wondering, shall I do this big partnership? Because that is the exact kind of scenario where you don't want it to happen, where maybe you're, if, you know, obviously don't know if this is exactly the case for these ones, but like the idea is that people will take your ideas, they'll take your staff, you won't get the funding and actually you give, um, get all the responsibility in an agency. Can we and, my ideas on my staff? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, when these things happen, I think it's because, I think in general, and this is a good thing, especially in this market, that there's a huge amount of optimism for fintech and that collaboration side. So I think it's kind of human as well that when people are shocked about it, because you're like, oh, I thought we got past the scare stage and then this happens. Yeah, it's fair. And, and I think it's, um, you're right that there has been a narrative of inclusion. I think it's healthy for people to remember that not, not every story will have a happy ending. It is absolutely possible to have those successful stories. And last time we all meant for an after dark, it was all about those successful love stories. Some of the players involved in these stories have had successful love stories. Um, but I also think it is a... I'm not starting this on a very positive note. <laughs> I think it's really important for the startup teams and founders to remember that this is also a very likely outcome. And although it doesn't often play out so slowly, most collaboration attempts end up like this. Just it doesn't take as long. It doesn't mature so much. But, but it was it was more than a collaboration. I mean, RBS took uh, 25% of loot over two rounds of investment in 2018. So they were, you know, really a reasonably major stockholder. Um, no one, and you know, uh, Ollie's a, a clever chap. Like he he wasn't running the clock out on his cash. So the fact that he's got a major bank as a major shareholder and suddenly they're into administration. That would have been a long time of, like, when's the next funding coming and who are we getting it from? You know, these things just don't creep up on you. As a startup founder, you're obsessed with, with cash flow and runway. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So, I don't know, there's just something that smells a bit for this with me because, um, because all of a sudden, RBS are employing all of these people without it being an aqua hire, having uh, uh, bought 25% of the company. Like, does that all add up? Yeah, so... Yeah, so something that I, I think is worth mentioning is that, yes, we are seeing it in fintech right now, but it's not something new at all in Silicon Valley. I mean, the number of companies that have actually been acquired by Google, by Facebook, etc., buying back the teams, like killing the products and things like that, this is something that has happened for, for a long time. Luke? Yeah, and, and I think that's true, and that was kind of my take on it, is that, Yes, it's surprising because of um, you know, some of how this, is, this story has played out, but it's not unique to other industries. It's, you know, uh, large enterprise are looking to, to get the edge, and you know, sometimes that's through uh, doing acquisitions like this and then stealing the ideas, and uh, it's just, yeah, un unfortunately. The way so that's what we think on the panel, but what about the audience? Are these types of partnerships doomed? Give me some noise if they're doomed. <laughs> Three people think they do. Four people have just like naysayers in the audience. All right, who thinks these partnerships can work? Yeah. All right, so the support of the audience for partnerships. How do we feel about that? Do you think it's better to be um, like a bank in these deals, the fintech, somebody else? Well, you've got to go in, into them. I do agree with the audience, but you've got to go into it with your eyes open and your super hard commercial pants on. Yeah. You know, you've what? got it. You've... Super hard. Those super hard commercial <laughs> pants. Commercial pants. Super hard commercial pants. There we go. There's an episode title. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, what about the audience? Who do you think has got more power in these relationships? The banks? Yes. Uh, and the fintechs? 
Zero people think the fintech has power. All right, that's 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 it. All right. Um, thank you, audience, for a dose of cynicism. Uh, we appreciate that. All right, the next story um, I'm reliably told is about Yaya, but I read it as Jar Jar, and immediately um, that confused things. So. <laughs> well, and I think we should. I think we should stop there because yes, Jar Jar Binks is not the uh, the role model yeah. for any brand <laughs> to appeal exactly. to anyone, is it? I so went in with a bias. The, the failed honest. Star Wars uh, character <laughs> is not something you want to bring to mind. Lena really likes Jar Jar Binks. I have a soft spot for oh, the no. underdog. Yeah, but would you trust him with your finances? Don't tell me that at the beginning no. of this panel because now, <laughs> like, my opinions change. Me thinks no. I mean, I wouldn't give him my piggy bank, no, but I would want him to sort of run around. <laughs> so if, if a bank had George R. Binks just hanging out with branches... They mostly do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Star Wars aside, uh, this story was from TechCrunch, and the story is about UK fintech Yaya uh, paying £530 million in cash to acquire... Bank of Ireland's UK credit card business. So Yaya, a digital credit card firm managed entirely through an app, announced that it would be acquiring this um, kind of set of accounts for that 530 million. Um, but the Yaya, I can't stop saying Yaya. <laughs> the Yaya Binks card is a digital credit card managed through this app. Um, the acquisition forms part of their strategy to scale their UK credit card business. But the key thing here is the deal includes. KKR, Centrebridge Partners, and other named investors who are helping finance that acquisition behind the scenes. Because previously, Jar Jar had raised about $16 million uh, in, in sort of uh, VC and about $3 million on Cedars. So this is an organization that had been around for some time. Their CEO is Neil Radley, who was the former boss of Barclay Card in Western Europe. So maybe they can make this work. It's just private equity money, digital, and then go buy a block of business, right? There's a lot of wit. Like, you can't hear this if you're listening to the podcast, but the panel just nodded at me. <laughs> which, which is fantastic. So, has this been a, uh, a viable um, sort of growth strategy for Klarna? Are you just going to go out and buy loans? So, um, we have actually bought some loans last year. Um, so, we, we, we did invest in a business. And I think this is an interesting one because, um, you know, this whole space, I think, and we're seeing is ripe for disruption and uh, you know you think there's been very little innovation at all in uh, in credit cards really and the you know just the the whole user experience not just the actual transaction because that's you know, the card is a form factor really of the transaction but the whole post purchase experience um, so something that we're focused on is how you know you can make that much more uh, user friendly um, and also uh, be a source for driving uh, consumers back to retailers. Um, so, um, yeah, this it's uh, it's an interesting one because one of the hardest parts that they're now going to face is how they integrate this business into their platform, which right. is very difficult from experience. Um, <laughs> Sounds because painful. It's, yeah, yeah, it's not just the technology; it's the consumers. So, yeah. you know, you're having to to flip over those consumers. So. Yeah. So, I, I think it's a very interesting deal because. Um, I mean, for Jaja, it's really like they started as a B2C, they want to go B2B, they are doing ASDA already. Yeah. And for them, it's kind of the ability to instantly already serve post office and AA, which are like the B2B um, or B2C brand uh, yeah. behind Bank of Islands. So Jaja definitely gets something out of it. And on the other side, for uh, KKR, um, which is a massive private equity fund. It's also the ability to diversify and basically acquire a big portfolio of credit instantly. So um, it's interesting. We've yeah. not really seen a fintech acquire a, an incumbent's yeah. book of business in, in in this big of a way before, and and that's kind of a watershed moment, Leon. Yeah, I, I definitely think that one thing so you can take away, especially pivoting off the last thing we talk about, is that when you want to put power in the fintech, you know, um, pockets. This is kind of a way because one of the biggest things is that obviously you want to um, get your tech out there, but trying to grow to scale with that money is always difficult. And when you do um, try to do these collaboration and partnerships, you're always it, it's a lot more uneven and it has to be expertly managed in order to get the banks inside and aligned with you. But in this kind of model, it, I find it really interesting because you've kind of got a lot more power there. You, yes, you've got investment, but you're doing it your way. Mm. And sometimes it'll pan out, sometimes it doesn't. But I think this is a very 
very um, interesting way to do it. It's interesting that you see a lot of incumbents with legacy technology stacks struggling to do digital. This is a weird sort of reverse way about solving digital is this new thing has been built by an ex-Barclays person, uh, in this case, uh, the chap's name's Neil Radley, and then they've gone out and acquired a book. Because we saw that uh, Lloyd's Banking Group bought the Virgin um, kind of credit card business. So that sort of stuff has been happening in banking for a while. This is a little bit different. But but for me, there's a there's a problem with the product. I mean, the fact that it, it was created by a former Barclay card boss, you can almost see that okay, Monzo's doing well, let's do the Monzo plus credit card bit, and rather than people loading money on, we'll lend it to them. But credit cards have this uh, sort of, this rub to them, where it's very easy to spend money you don't have, and however they've structured it, you're still going to be spending on the never-never and paying it off in 56 days' time. So there's something about, is this really about fulfilling a customer need, or just taking a traditional card adding a few nice features on and saying, we've done digital, where, where in the end, it doesn't, doesn't serve consumers. Uh, it's interesting, the assumption being, oh, what the challenger banks have done is done digital only. So we should do digital only, when actually what you're saying, I think, if, if I've understood it, is no, it's, it's the product and the offering and how people feel about that product that's, that's the fundamental well, mindset. Well, why do people use credit cards? You know, everyone, people get rewards, but it's very easy to get into that. I've spent it all this month, I've got to pay it back and you've got the rolling balances and away we go into that world. You know, when we're looking at lending, you know, with our clients, we're looking at, you know, why are they borrowing the money in the first place or do they need a facility? Over what time do they want to pay it back? Because you've got to assume that they want to get back into credit and how do you structure that thing? And credit cards are just a, an old, uh, opaque mechanic for extracting cash from consumers. Wow. I think there's, yeah, what about that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the You're the emo of this panel today. <laughs> wow. Uh, but enough about what do you think. What about the audience? Um, give it, I want a, a yar or a nah on this deal from the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you think this deal makes complete sense for everybody involved and or something near that, give me a yar. Yar. Well, that just blew me away with the <laughs> and, and if you think this thing sucks, give me a nah. And that was slightly louder, but there was a lot of yars out there. Interesting. Um, a jar. It was more of a meh reaction, yeah. which yeah. is kind of how I feel about meh. this story. Because if we are actually on the lookout, to Jason's point, about the things that disrupt the way we work, be it the way we consume, the way we think about money, or the way we interact from a business model perspective, that's the oldest story in the book. Like the, the industry that's meant to be disrupted wrote the book on how to do this thing. Mm. So although it may work out for them for a time or for a long, long period, and, and good luck to them, I can't get excited. We've seen this before. Indeed. All right, well, next story. Um, we're moving a little bit further afield with this one. Uh, this story comes from Zadina, and it's talking about Singapore are actually going to issue digital retail and wholesale banking licenses. Uh, so we saw this with Hong Kong. Now Singapore looks to be following suit. So Mars are going to issue up to five new digital banking licenses in an attempt to add market diversity, boost the local banking system. Two full bank retail and up to three digital wholesale licenses for SMEs and other non-retail segments. Singapore banks can already set up digital bank subsidiaries on their own or do so within a JV, but the bank must retain control. The new licenses are only companies headquartered in Singapore and controlled by Singaporeans are eligible to apply, um, and foreign companies would have to form some sort of JV. Uh, Full bank applicants have to meet a bunch of customer criteria, including track record in operating an existing business, value proposition detailing how it could serve unmet and unserved needs, um, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Anyways, uh, before we get into like this story amongst the panel, David, is there anybody out there that's got something they'd like to share about this? Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, talking about what I said a minute ago about having smart people in the audience, it's lucky that we so happen to have a gentleman who's been doing something very similar to this in Hong Kong. So um, give a round of applause and a welcome to Dennis Govan, who is the CEO of one of the challenger banks that Standard Charter is doing in Hong Kong. Dennis. Thank you. It's great to be here in London, 11FS, guys, you know, thank you very much. Um, very quickly, yes, you know, we got the license in Hong Kong, uh, I think, you know, last March. Um, I cannot say that, you know, it was easy. Uh, it was really tough. Um, we started this journey, very fast forward, you know, let me explain. We started this journey, you know, 2018 May, 
I remember my first workshop or you know kickoff you know with 11FS guys. <laughs> uh, I think you know it was May, and after that you know we started to work on you know many different things because you know creating value proposition, you know creating a new tech stack. You know right now we are building a new tech stack from scratch. I'm talking about you know full end to end you know including core banking. To be honest, you know if you need the, if you need core banking. Um, on the other hand, you know of course you know we we had to you know get a you know license. And we started to write, you know, that license in June. In three months' time, uh, I think, you know, end of August 2018, you know, we submitted, you know, our application to HKMA, Hong Kong Money Authority. Um, after that, you know, I think, you know, in that, you know, period, you know, three months, uh, I visited uh, HKMA uh, 17 times. And then, you know, after that, most probably, you know, we had, you know, a lot of, you know, discussions and conversations. What I can share with you, um, uh, we were lucky because you know HKMA, you know, created a really different journey with us. Normally, regulators, it's really difficult, you know, to talk, you know, this kind of things. But in this journey, we were lucky. Why? Because you know they wanted to, you know, discuss everything, and they realized, you know, I think end of 2017, you know, they realized that you cannot create, you know, a different ecosystem just creating or doing, you know, a couple of, you know, fintech events. <laughs> you cannot do that. So if you want to you know, create a real ecosystem in a market, you, know, you have to you know, bring these people, and virtual bank license you know, was one of them. So right now, you know, we got the license you know, last March. Um, I remember the you know, early days, you know, because you know, writing an application, you know, banking license application, you know, it, it was really tough. You know, it was you know, this big. Um, how I see this, you know, Singapore issued the, the, the digital banking license. Uh, I used to live in Singapore before Hong Kong. Um, it's a really interesting market. We are talking about you know 5.5 you know, million customers in Singapore. It's not a big market, and Hong Kong is very similar, 7.4. But Hong Kong is you know the, the most profitable market in the world right now. I can easily tell you in the first year. You now I'm talking about you know four big banks. Last year, you know, they made you know more than 12 billion USD net profit in Hong Kong. Damn. And is that all? Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a there's a huge potential in these markets. You know, in Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, there are a lot of you know mature products, financial products. But when we come to you know services, when we when we if we are going to you know talk about you know real digital services, there are a lot of you know basic parts. In Singapore, there's a huge potential. Why? Because you know there are some big banks there. Uh, but honestly. You know, uh, there are a lot of you know different you know players there, and they will you know do you know some different things. Honestly, you know all these digital banking licenses. How I see the things, I think you know these are you know some clever you know moves you know from regulators because with the help of you know all these licenses, you can create you know something different. Otherwise, you know all these you know digital transformation. Ah. Stuffs, you know, it doesn't work properly. That, that, digital what transformation think. is one of my least favorite terms, and I think, thank you, Dennis, for doing that. I think there's nothing quite like insight from people that have been there and done it. This is definitely a trend, and we'll, we'll keep covering this on the show. Um, I'm conscious that we have a hungry audience, so I'm going to move us to the next point. Um, but, like, round of applause again for Dennis. Really well done, sir. All right, the next story. Uh, we're actually talking about a UK announcement that came out just yesterday. Um, this one came from This Is Money. There is a new lifetime ISA Best Buy. So two UK fintechs, I guess, uh, Moneybox and Oak North, have teamed up to offer a 1.4% rate to younger savers keen to get onto the property ladder. Um, so this cash ISA is market leading. And lifetime ISAs in the UK, if you're not familiar or you're an international listener, Offer a 25% bonus up to a thousand pounds a year on top of uh, on top of the tr the savings rate you're getting to help first-time buyers get on the property ladder. So uh, we have somebody in the audience who can help us out with this one, David. I'm walking around again here, aren't I? So uh, we've got work, uh, David. Uh, Val Christensen from Oaknorth. You're going to talk about this one? Yeah. I'll stop you. I'll have your seat for two seconds. Okay, great. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so we're really excited about this, uh, this partnership. Obviously, um, Oak North, we have a banking license, so that means that these customers can get uh, the FSCS protection, the Financial Services Compensation Scheme protection up to £85,000. Um, we think, obviously, as it's a cash license, it's probably going to appeal more to uh, younger, um, younger savers. I mean, you can be 18 to 39 if, if you want to put money into a license, but... Uh, 
as it's, it's cash probably for people who are looking to um, purchase their first home, so get people on the property ladder, looking to, uh, to take out the cash in about five years' time. Obviously, if you're looking to uh, save for retirement, you might want to go for a, a stocks and shares lighter. Um, but yeah, really, really excited. Obviously, we're, we're doing more partnerships with, uh, with other fintechs, Mon, uh, Monzo, for example, earlier this year, um, and we're keen to partner with more. So yeah, get in touch if you want to partner with us. Get in touch if you want to partner. Um, so I'm going to throw it to the panel now. Uh, on the And thank you, Val, for going on. On the last two stories, um, just thoughts from the panel if there's anything that really stood out to you about A, the, the partnership between fintechs or B, sort of the regulatory licenses. Go at it. The cynic in me says, uh, like, it's almost the two extremes of the same story, right? We've been talking a long time about how if this digital thing is going to really take root, we have to take into account every aspect of it. The technology is only a big part. It's how you make money, how the economics work, how the relationships work. A partnership-driven model makes imminent sense. It makes sense because you can't build everything yourself, because your customer doesn't want to buy everything from yourself. It shows an awareness of, of which way the world is going. And it is in so many ways a reflection of the regulatory framework in every jurisdiction, right? The, the choices the regulator makes really color the types of choices you can make. So if you look at that story, and, and it's a fantastic story in every respect, against the backdrop of the Singapore story, I wonder whether the restrictions on the licenses will actually ignite the type of creativity and innovation we would expect from something similar when it happened in the UK, say. Yeah. Because you open it up, but then you close it back down. And what we will see is banks for the usual suspects who will continue making money the way they used to. But we haven't seen that in Hong Kong necessarily, because the first batch were the usual suspects, but the second batch have been quite different. They've been some of the big techs. Um, but, you know, is the big techs better than the banks when we're trying to encourage competition? Any, any thoughts on that? Well, anyone who comes to banking with both, uh, with both the experience and the knowledge of regulation and how that works, together with a, a drive to develop something that works for customers and also brings in new business models that don't just rely on net interest margin, fees and charges, I think starts to be interesting. And one of the interesting things in Hong Kong is the number of, of uh, collaborations we've seen uh, of, of people who are telcos and retailers and big tech companies and banks start to come together, which, to Leader's point, connects nicely with the money box Oak North. Um, you know, Oak North is by far the, the most successful challenger bank in the UK, like by far. Um, Shout out, yeah. But it's not someone that comes up in the, you know, in the uh, in conversations a lot when you talk about challenger banks. Yet to now start connecting to other uh, to other players, you start to see what might happen with that ecosystem. That people who are very specialist at very particular things start to connect with other specialists. Yeah. So you've got Moneybox, which is very much that. Uh, customer-focused, let me help work on the mechanics and how and why you're saving, together with a balance sheet at the back end yeah. as, of how that works. And I think that'll happen across the, the way. We're it's, talking about people who have, you know, very lean, mean product engines and big, um, big balance sheets connecting with these intelligence services and Klarna on the sort of end-to-end -end journey. Suddenly we, you know, we see how all that works. Yes, yeah, so, and I think that's what's... Now, interesting about this partnership as well is that ultimately you're looking at, at it from a customer perspective. So rather than, you know, where the traditional banks were thinking about how they're making money out of uh, these kind of transactions, you start with what problem am I solving from a customer? How do, who can uh, join me in this kind of solving these problems? And you're not trying to solve everything. You're bringing uh, somebody in to, to solve a particular part of that equation. So, uh, and I think that's what, that's what happens when other tech companies come into this space. Uh, Liana, any thoughts on this? Yeah, so I, I just think that one thing, though, this is a prime example that we're talking about, is that while you see the opportunity market is great, you cannot forget the headwinds of what the industry is going through. So when you think of the property market, obviously banks, the traditional banks, are now rolling out 100% mortgages, things like that. So it's being mindful that you know, there's lots of banks out there that are ready to do it, but then also at the same time, some of those traditional lenders are starting to revert back to old ways. But that, you know, probably a cliche, but that is a challenge, but it's also opportunity to offer something better. And I think this is really exciting. It's exciting times. Um, well, just taking a slight change of gear away from um, the exciting times that we're having in fintechs and, and partnerships. Where, Leader, it does seem they can work. Uh, we can get partnerships that do work. Um, 
The uh, the charity that we're supporting uh, this evening, it's uh, because we are, of course, in Pride Month, uh, there is absolutely no better charity for us to be supporting than, of course, Stonewall. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Stonewall was actually founded in 1989 to help advance the rights of the LBGTQ community by campaigning for equal rights, supporting and empowering individuals, and transforming institutions to create uh, inclusive and accepting cultures. So uh, please, please, please support this amazing cause. Do give generously. You can, uh, if you've got a UK mobile, you can text PRIDE, uh, that's uh, PRIDE, all in word, to 70003, or um, 70,003, if you prefer that way of saying it, to donate three pounds. Um, so please, please do make sure you do that. Alrighty, uh, let's get back to the news. Uh, at this point, we wanted to look at some of the biggest stories over the last few weeks because, frankly, fintech never sleeps and it just seems like the headlines get bigger and bigger every week. So, uh, this one, uh, did anybody see Facebook did a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Facebook kind of did a thing. Um, so, you could pick Bloomberg, Guardian, Reuters. Um, there was countless fallout. This is uh, Mark Zuckerberg's world domination plans edging ever closer. Um, Facebook have built a <laughs> have built a platform called Libra, and they've teamed up with a whole bunch of organizations, including Vodafone, Uber, Kiva, Stripe, Mastercard, Visa, you name them, um, to create their own coin called the Libra Coin and a wallet, wonderfully called Calibra. Get it? Um, <laughs> and they're, uh, they're they're basically going to build a peer to peer payments network, cutting out the banks. Right? That's that's how it's going to go down. Uh, audience, uh, I'm going to ask you before I go to the panel. Um, do you think you would use Libra? Give me a cheer. Yes. Four people would really use Libra. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you think Facebook are evil and probably just want my data? Yes. Ooh, that really got the crowd going. That's that. Uh, it's the end of central banks. Yeah. No. I think that's, that's a hell of a note. Will regulators try to kill it? Yes. yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so Facebook are evil and just want my data and regulators are going to kill this thing. Panel, is there anything we should add? That it's actually an opportunity for the regulators to do some learning, particularly in the US where they haven't had that push before. Um, so the fact that essentially Maxine Waters came out and said, pause until we understand it, was both honest, but also a massive opportunity. I must admit, and I'm sitting far enough from Simon to hopefully not be reached by whatever he's going to throw at me, I'm not that excited by this. Yes, Jaja Binks is cute. I'm not, I'm not Why excited by this. you have all of the wrong opinions? <laughs> I like to keep it interesting for you. I'm not saying it's not big news. I'm saying I personally don't find it hugely exciting. And the reason I don't find it hugely exciting is because you can't have a fundamentally regulated business transformed by people who don't care to talk to the regulator. And the fact that the regulator was like, wait, what is this? Shows that they either failed to look at something at all, which means that there will be more things they didn't think about, or a certain degree of arrogance that you can do this without looking at the existing system. Um, so for that reason, not that excited. But the fact that the, the biggest regulators in the world were going to have to come to the table, and whether they like it or not, do some accelerated, deep learning about the art of the possible in this space, whatever happens to Libra is going to be good news for everybody. It's forcing a conversation. Yeah, jumping back on what uh, Leda was saying, what I'm really excited about is Christine Lagarde coming to the head of ECB. I think that actually yeah. is going to be fun because <laughs> <laughs> she she's pro cryptocurrencies, but she, she wants it to be regulated. And at this point, we're saying, well, we're unsure it's going to be regulated or not, but she is going to push for it. And I think we will see something very interesting. What, what, so it's interesting that we saw about six months ago the bank of international settlements, which if you're not that nerdy, is the central bank for banks um, and where the central bankers all get together and, and have opinions about stuff. Um, had said, basically, central banks doing dig digital currencies, it's never going to happen, that's a bit of a stupid idea, put it away, put that down, stop running in, ha in the house. And then now, post Libra, they've gone, maybe 
maybe central bank digital currencies is a good idea. And I think that's to the point. Christine Lagarde's been on that wave for some time. Any other thoughts on this? Well, it just seems uh, dialing it back and going to why is Facebook doing this? They were trying to do a payment service before and it failed. Mm -hmm. And now this just seems like another way that they're trying to do it, but in an unregulated way. So it's just worth putting that out there that, uh, you know, they've kind of tried to do it before. But, But when you look at those super national companies, you know, the Facebooks, the Vodafones, the multi-territories, it makes a lot of sense for them because suddenly this is a stable coin, it's going to have less swing than a lot of the others because it has that basket of currencies underneath. And suddenly that that global um, alternative economy run by global corporations that has less... Does you know, not sound less ominous control, at all. Uh, control the economy, from the control central bank. But 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 you know, I just don't see any national sovereign government giving fiscal control to a you know to the umbrella court. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you can understand why the likes of uh, Farfetch are interested in being involved in something like this, whereas taking out friction from a cross-border trading perspective. Uh, but, um, you know, for me, it's, it, I, if you think about it, it's hitting privacy, uh, trading, national security, uh, na- international monetary policy. Um, it's going to be quite a, quite a feat to pull it off. What, what's interesting about this is um, the, a lot of the other big techs have a payments play, especially the Asian ones. I mean, Google has Google Pay, Apple has Apple Pay. You see a lot of development from, you know, especially from Asia with, uh, with Financial and Alipay and uh, Tencent and WeChat. They are really well developed without magic blockchain beans. They, they can do payments. Facebook hasn't executed payments, even though the guy leading this, David Marcus, was the former CEO of PayPal. So you've got a heavyweight in there potentially helping deliver some of this. And what's interesting is the central banker's response to this has kind of been, you know, so if you listen to the Fed chairman or to uh, the Bank of England's Mark Carney, they were like, you know, we'll take a look at this. It's been quite measured. The political response has not. And that actually is, is a really important nuance because Facebook is, I think, in, in the bad books at the moment for, for a lot of political reasons. Alrighty, well, we got the audience's opinion. Um, we've got a subject here that we could probably talk about all night. Uh, but if you want to know more, um, we've been dissecting all of this over on Blockchain Insider, which is available <laughs> on iTunes now. <laughs> so you can check out uh, all, of, uh, all of those thoughts on uh, episode 101 and 102. And if you disagree, just at S.Y. Taylor on Twitter and we can have an argument. Uh, <laughs> or we can have a polite conversation, whatever you like. Uh, let's, uh, let's get on with the next story. Um, this one's a bit closer to home and it comes down to the uh, what we lovingly title the Remedies Fund. Um, over to you, Jason, on this one. Um, you've got the details on the story? So I don't know if you know, but someone's been giving out free money. <laughs> like, and I love me some free money. <laughs> so uh, RBS... Um, uh, was essentially forced in order to give out these this, these different pools of prizes because they couldn't separate off Williams and Glynn. Had to write off billions in order, or at least a billion in order to do that. So recently, the Paul D winners were announced. Kodak, Fluidly. Um, we see Caroline Plum on the uh, podcast uh, a fair amount, a great business. Form 3, Funding Options and Swoop Finance. Um, and this fund called the Banking Competition Remedies Fund, I just call it free money, uh, it stems from this 775 million uh, alternative remedies package. And basically, Pool D was the capability and innovation pool. So not only were they giving it to competitors, I know some guys from Nationwide are here tonight, shout out for Nationwide, and Starling, shout out for Starling, but actually technology providers as well. I mean, that, the European um, regulators really sort of just said, right, you need to just fund lots of people. Um, Go so, fund somebody. So there's one set of <laughs> free money yourself. still left. Pool C, to f- facilitate the expansion of business offerings to include lending of payments to SMEs in the UK with four awards of £10 million. They give it to you. You do stuff, they give it to you. Speaking of which, we've got somebody in the audience that might have something they like to share. David, can you find somebody? I mean, somebody who's done stuff and they've given them free money uh, in the crowd tonight. Uh, Mr. Brian EP, how's it going? Um, MD of funding options. Do you want to tell us about your little journey there on uh, how much money was it? Uh, Five million. Free money. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) We definitely like some free money. I have to say that. Uh, incredible opportunity, though. So, yeah, £775 million into the market. 
And again, it's all focused in terms of trying to provide services to small business owners. And I, I think everybody will say it's, we're finally now seeing a bit of a renaissance for small business owners and fintechs fully supporting them. So from our perspective, uh, we have delivered £250 million to over 5,000 small business owners over, well, in a lifetime. Uh, with these funds, we're going to more than double that, hopefully. Uh, the focus is we're going to deliver half a billion pounds of funds uh, over the next couple of years. We're also going to focus in terms of actually trying to get open banking into the actual hands of actually small business owners, making the process as easy as possible. The thing that we're really tra- well trying to tackle uh, is moving away from London. If you look across the UK, what are we seeing? We are seeing closures of bank branches, um, you know, relationship managers galore actually moving away. And actually, uh, for a lot of these, especially the, the, the regional businesses, you know, it is the, you know, they desperately need that support. Um, so we're going to be giving tools out to advisors, uh, accountants to help them actually small, uh, support small business owners even further. Um, so, yeah, so really exciting. Excited to see equally what happens with Paul C. So I think we find out, what, mid-August? Yeah. So it's going to be, yeah, an interesting six weeks. It is. It's like watching the graduation. Ronnie P, everybody. Also, who knew Ryan was giving out tours? So you can find him on TripAdvisor anytime you like. So there you go. Um, Panel, what do you, Leona, do you have any thoughts on, on where the Remedies Fund leaves the, the UK small business sector? So I, I think, obviously, it's a positive thing that it's being distributed to competitors to small business because it, it, this needs to all work. There needs to be an overhaul, and it's great having that free money. Um, but also, at the same time, it is in their interest to make this happen because these may be uh, people that are going to be working to gain that great technology and eventually doing that partnership, or they may even buy them in the end, or vice versa. So um, I actually think it's, um, you know, it could potentially really transform banking itself because you're already without, you know, I suppose, interfering too much at the early stages to build up these uh, capacitors for yourself in the future. I mean, it's, it's an amazing set of commitments, right? And, and I love to think of it as free money, but the reality, if you look at the commitments you have to make to get that money, it's not free at all. Yeah. And the, the process of going through the articulation of those commitments and the opportunity of the people who are handing out the money, although I would love to be in that committee, yeah. um, <laughs> the, the opportunity to look at however many submissions they had, I have no idea, and get as holistic an image as possible of what the future of SME banking could look like in the UK and make a few choices about the things that not necessarily are the most useful, but the things that are either most pressing or that wouldn't happen without this help, is actually an amazingly enlightened way of doing it. And I would like to know where this pot of cash came from. Well, so, you know, really, where did it come from? But um, yes. But I still, as a taxpayer, feel a little uncomfortable about it. But as a participant in the ecosystem, I think it's absolutely amazing. Because the articulation of the commitment on the one side and the ability to say, actually, these 10 things will really transform this, this, this industry, that's absolutely amazing. And I will be observing how these companies do with great interest. It's really unique. Like, never in history has you seen a sort of a large bank try and do a transformation not get to where they wanted to with it and have the government say, well, okay, well, we own most of you. So instead, let's come up with an alternative. Let's take the money you would have spent on transformation and let's throw it open to the market and what happens. And it proves what you can do with a lot less money if you're starting from a different place. But I, I do like this trend of almost the X Prize approach. Yeah. You know, uh, we, uh, again, Nationwide did an open banking thing. Nestor have done a, a business banking thing. This whole idea of, actually, let's put the investment out to good causes, but you convince us that you're the best. I think it was over 60, people, 60 different organisations applied for Pool D. So there's a lot of people working on it. And SME banking, as, as we all know, is the, is the new sort of battlefield, the new area that everyone's looking at, because generally it's just been a glorified retail current account that you had to pay for. Yeah. So the fact that uh, small businesses have much more interesting use cases, they've got cash flow, they've got invoices and bills and accountants and accounting platforms and making tax digital, 
um, there's this massive opportunity to deliver those intelligent services to businesses that hopefully this really drives drives through. And, and look, Klarna do quite a lot with the, the business side and helping them understand how to work with their customers. I think there's something interesting about, as Jason was saying, moving from that, like, here's your account, you go ahead, to here's a bunch of stuff you can do to get closer to your customers and understand, like, that's a different approach. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we've, um, this, first of all, this is definitely a neglected area. It's, you know, it really is the, we, we forget this, but it is the, the engine of our economy is all of these SMEs. And um, so, yeah, but we've, we've also focused a lot on how we can uh, support SME retailers. We've recently run a, uh, a competition to, to give uh, SMEs access to our payment services. And the demand for, you know, the same quality of uh, access to payment services as, as any other enterprise retailer, they have exactly the same demands. But you know, nobody is really serving those uh, specific SME requirements that, uh, that that's out there. And you look at like the success of Funding Circle and and the likes, where you know they are able to focus on a niche and provide a specific service to to uh, SMEs. And you know, it's Funding Circle or indeed Funding Options. Uh, funding <laughs> <laughs> those guys too. Shut up, right, me. I got. I got you and your tours. I'm with you. Uh, how about Sophie? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no. So I, I think basically I've been passionate about SME banking for a long time. Um, I think a lot of things have been moving over the past few years, but I'm yet to see. Uh, I, I think that we are missing still some things, and particularly for a bit larger SMEs, because I think those guys are totally not addressed. Mm. And I think like marketplace banking for that would be perfect. So meaning like you have this. Uh, current account for the slightly larger SME and basically all these fintech options to be able to follow like the company as it grows mm -hmm. and as its needs grow. So we could add like uh, funding options, uh, funding circle or, or anyone or basically. Anything, yeah. <laughs> and, and the second part uh, is definitely a bank that banks fintechs. I think we are like desperately needing that and we, we, we don't have it yet. So I think there are so many opportunities and I really hope this fund will also help develop well, those I, two areas. I saw uh, Nick Ogden from uh, Claybank around somewhere, so, uh, so I'm sure he would agree with you on that. Yeah, and, and I think there's an interesting development of people supporting fintechs, and, but generally going after niches. Um, I, one of the things, I think Oak North's superpower has been identifying niches that nobody was serving mm -hmm. and creating new either risk models or something that, that got after those people and, and kind of made sense of it. And, and actually, how do you do that for that segment? Well, Oak North have kind of given a blueprint, but are there others? Are there other niches out there that can, can help get that stuff done? Alrighty, um, so... Uh, we've got our unfinally story leader, and uh, this unfinally story comes from the BBC, and it says Cheshire Police share a warning of a probably the worst bank scam ever. So there's uh, there's a letter that uh, is part of this um, this, this is scam. The best thing. Uh, can you, do you want to read out the, yeah. the letter verbatim? Because I do. I do. Just this is the letter that people in Cheshire have received. Dear customer. Many of our bank customers have reported that their debit cards have caught fire while they're in wallets and purses. And so, as precaution, we're issuing an capital urgent safety recall. This is a matter of the uppermost emergency, people giggling at the back, <laughs> as your card could create a pocket Whoa, hold on. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Your card could create a pocket fire at any given moment, burning your legs and stomach terribly. <laughs> this is because of a fault in the factory process at our debit card factory at Molten Keynes. <laughs> there, comma. For your own safety and verification, please complete the bottom of this form and return it with your debit card to the safety manager at the following address, Mr. Smith, Barclays Debit Card Factory, 187 Bangalore Lane, Bangalore, India. <laughs> <laughs> Best wishes, Eric Smith, Barclays Debit Card Safety Manager. <laughs> now, the best bit is that the form requests for your PIN number, because, of course, that's the only way you can activate the safety security settings. Oh, there's, there's so much there. Like, where do you begin with this? Pocket fires are a thing, <laughs> when you... Pre precussion? 
And like, <laughs> can we just say Molten King sounds like a really good superhero name? But there was um, there was a, a research thing on Nigerian scammers, and they found actually that the that they are um, the most uh, interesting group of people who evolve the most effective scams. So the person that responds to this is going to be the person that you get the card from. You spend all their money; they're still not going to complain about it. You know, they they won't even track their money. The the the, with Nigerian scammers, the worse spelling and the worse it is, then the more likely it, it would be that they would, they would fall for it and continue. So you might get back in contact with them and saying, it's not only this card, actually it's all your cards, send them to me. Wow. So, the body so they, safety it, manager yeah. can help with all your other... So they actually <laughs> evolved... We can take a lot more precautions. They evolved the language to find people who, uh, who it works for, because ultimately they're the best test and learners you know, when it comes to scam in the world. I just wish I was a fly on the wall when somebody read this letter and said, oh my God, I have been exposed to a pocket fire all this time and didn't even know. <laughs> Who knew so much danger lurked in your pocket at any one time? <laughs> Who knew? That's why we need the... Uh, it could be burnt Apple terribly. Pocket, right? Clearly. Burnt that terribly. will solve the pocket fires on our wet phones. Um, all right, on that note, that concludes a very special After Dark Al Fresco. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, huge, huge thank you to our event partner, Carter Worldwide. For those of you who may not know, Carter provides issuer processing. Carter are the engine empowering some new disruptors and enabling some established banks to develop new products in the rapidly changing market. And I that's... see you leaving in the middle to get food. Uh, I, I, I judge you. Uh, I judge you so hard. All the audience is watching you now. Uh, and that is C-A-R-T-A -A, if you yes. want to Google it as well. It is. Um, thank you to the magnificent people at Beer Hawk for the beer tonight. If you haven't already, do sample some of those, but not now because I'm judging you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be that guy. <laughs> uh, and finally, thank you to WeWork for the space and the help on the logistics. Please stick around for drinks and food and don't forget to donate to Stonewall. Text PRIDE to uh, 70,003 uh, to donate three pounds. Uh, lovely guests, where can people find out more about you, Liana? Um, on Twitter, at Liana Brundit. Uh, Luke. At Twitter, Luke B. Griffiths. And Sophie. At Twitter, Sophie. I, I see you. <laughs> you can't run. Go faster doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sophie. No, that's fine. Uh, anyway, nobody will find my Twitter with my name, but yeah. at Twitter, Sophie Gibo. All righty. Um, and of course, uh, what about uh, the good leader? I'll be at Molten King. <laughs> Jason? I'll be at Jason Bates. All righty. I want to thank our awesome uh, media team that made this event possible. Charlotte for tonight's amazing animations and video. Liad for the artwork. Michael for the camera duties. Alex for our audio. Other people leaving. Um, Laura, our producer. Uh, all the help behind the scenes playing the show. Jeff for scripting. Jess for streaming on social. Uh, Laura, R, and Bianca for making this happen in this incredible setting. And all the other 11 of helping out. Finally, thank you to our amazing audience. Give yourselves a cheer. Yeah!